All right, let's take our Bibles out and we're going to turn to the book of Exodus. We're going to start our reading at chapter 28. When you read through these passages, these aren't really the passages that you get up and say, man, I had a great devotion. (laughs) You know, because it's all the details of the temple. But if you catch the big picture of what's going on, that is a great devotion. And And that's what we're going to look at. Uh, here today. So as we start reading in chapter 28, it says, Then bring near you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. Then it says, You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and of purple, and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges, so that it may be joined together, and the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it, and be of one piece with it, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone, and on the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. And you shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords, and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. And you shall make a breastpiece of judgment in skilled work. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen, you shall make it. It shall be square and doubled, a spanish length and a spanish breadth. You shall set in it four rows of stones, a row of sardis, topaz, the carbuncle shall be the first row, the second row an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond, in the third row a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst, and the fourth row a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. And it continues like that for a little bit. You know, by the time you get to the end of this, you're going like, what? <laughs> but it's, it's like reading a blueprint. It's not really meant for you to just sit down and read it like we're reading it. What it's for is giving them exactly how this is how you're going to make this garment for the priest. So it has to be very detailed. When I'm putting something together, if I get like, a, oh, like this week, I'm putting up a, a shower door. I can walk my way through those directions. There's so many different kinds out there and the way that they go together anymore. You know what? There's so many times when I go through putting up a shower door, I'm reading through the instructions and I'm going, 
They're leaving something out here. There's some, I'm not sure exactly what it's saying. And you wrestle with it, read through the rest of the instructions, finally it makes sense, you kind of get it put together, and you get it all installed. If the directions aren't very specific, then you're left with all these questions. What do I do? Well, that's, that's what we're in. That's what we're reading. They're making the garments for the priest, and God's giving them all this specific deal, the rings and the cords going through the rings and the colors that are involved and all, all these different things because God wants it just how He wants it. And those people would be able to take these directions, measure the guy that's going to wear the outfit, and start to make those with these specific directions. So that's what it's, that's what it's for. Now, God obviously had a lot that He's putting into these things. He had exactly how He wanted it to every last detail. So why? What is this stuff about? Well, we're going to start with the tabernacle and then go through the priest's outfit. And we're just going to think about a few things. There's quite a few things that, in these things that point to Christ. Just like Jesus told, told the religious leaders when He's having a conversation with them, He says, look, if you would have believed Moses, you would believe Me, because Moses wrote of Me. And this is one of those things as we look at the, how the tabernacle was put together and the, and the priestly function, that all these things would point to Christ. It points to it with the big picture, of course, because Jesus is that sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God that was slain for the sins of us, for the sins of the world. He is also the high priest. He's offering Himself as that sacrifice. So in the big picture, what's happening? Basically, you have a tent with a place to offer sacrifices and a guy that does it. And that is all Christ. Christ is both the sacrifice and the one making the sacrifice, the high priest offering it up to God. But a lot of the detail within here points to Him as well. As we look at the tabernacle, it was basically a, a, a kind of a wall around the outside. And then inside, it's broken down into sections. The first section that you come in, that outer courtyard area, has the, the altar. That one's obvious. How does that point to Christ? It points to Christ because that's the place where the sacrifices happen. And so Christ is our sacrifice. Now, as you move from the altar deeper into the tent of meeting, you come across a laver. In other words, it's a kind of a wash basin. And so this was there for the priests to go up and wash in. Obviously, that speaks of purity, of, of cleansing. And that's what's taking place here. As, as the sacrifices are being offered, they're being offered for atonement for the sins of the people of Israel. There's some other things of purity that went with that, of course. The lamb that was to be sacrificed had to be completely white. No spots, no speckles. Solid color. It also could not have broken bones or infirmities or anything like that. It had to be pure as that lamb. Well, that's what the laver would speak to too. Through cleansing, through purity is what that would speak to as well. But then when you get inside to the tabernacle, then you enter into another tent. And this tent had two sections. And the first part that you entered into, it would have a table of showbread. And the table of showbread would have the bread that's laid out on it. It was put on there daily. And it would also have a pitcher of wine for drink offerings to happen there also. And boy, you don't have to think too hard to recognize the connection there. Right? Because when Jesus had His last supper with His disciples, and He's sitting around the table with them, and He gave them something to remember Him, He took the bread from the table, and He broke it, and He says, this is My body which is broken for you. And then He took the cup, He took the wine and He gave it to them and He said, this is My blood that is shed for you. And so all the way back during the time of Moses, they're already putting those symbols in place within the tabernacle. The bread, Jesus in His teaching told us that He is the bread of life. 
All those things obviously very clearly point to Christ. Also, inside that room was the candelabra. And during the festival, when they would have this candle lighting ceremony, Jesus would stand up and say, I am the light of the world, and use that as a as symbolism of himself as well. So there's also an altar of incense in there where the priests would come in and they would burn incense. When you read of like John the Baptist's birth, this is what his dad was doing. It was his dad's turn to be the guy to go in and offer the incense before the Lord that day. Incense, the Bible tells us, represents the prayers of the saints. Just as incense was to come up before God as a sweet-smelling aroma, God says that's what our prayers are like to Him. The prayers of the saints come up before God as a sweet-smelling aroma. Isn't that a cool thought? To think about just a little bit ago when we were all praying together and we're agreeing together on what we're praying about. God is up in heaven just going, that is so cool. Okay, then there was the veil. There's a big curtain there. Top to bottom, no door in it as we mentioned last week. The priest, the high priest once a year would have to crawl under that to go into the Holy of Holies. That veil is the veil that ripped down the middle when Christ died on the cross. That signifies the actual presence of God. Because inside that last part, the Holy of Holies is what it's called, inside the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. And the Mercy Seat is the throne of God on this earth. And so God caused His glory to rest upon the tabernacle. That's where it went, straight down to that mercy seat. That is the dwelling place of God. Inside of the Ark of the Covenant that's underneath the mercy seat, there's three things. There is the copy of the Ten Commandments in stone, the stones that Moses brought down off the mountain. The second time, of course, because the first one gets broken, as we're going to learn next week. And so those went in there, and that speaks to Christ because Christ is the fulfillment of the law. What does the law contain? It contains rules on how you're supposed to live. And then it contains sacrifices. Because we break the rules on how we're supposed to live, and so we need to be forgiven, the only way for that to happen is through sacrifice. Christ fulfilled all that. He lived the righteous requirements of the law and offered Himself as a sacrifice for our failures, and so He fulfilled the law. But within that also is some of the manna. Remember the manna that God gave, fed the Israelites with, that lasted for a day? Every day they'd have to go pick it up fresh and new. If they tried to pick up and save some for leftovers for the next day, it all rotted, except for on the Sabbath day. Well, there's a jar of manna inside the Ark of the Covenant that is preserved, it would have to be by God, to remind the children of Israel of how God miraculously watched over them and took care of them in the wilderness. Jesus would point back to that manna and say, God gave you manna in the wilderness. And he'd say, I'm the true manna. I'm the bread of life. And so that manna pointed to Christ also. Also, there's a third thing in there. Aaron's rod or Aaron's staff. Aaron's staff, at one point, other Levites stood up to Moses and Aaron and said, you know what, you're taking too much on yourself. We're all holy before God. You guys aren't the only ones that are holy before God. And so you guys are, you, you think you're a little too much in charge. And so they challenged him. And so Moses says, okay, we'll let God settle it. And so they collected 12 staffs. They took a staff from Aaron and a staff from each chief among the people. They had 12 tribes, 12 staffs, and they put them in the tent of meeting. And they said, God's going to decide. He's, he's going to show you who He wants in charge. And so when they went in the next day, they, they went and they took the staffs out of the tent of meeting Aaron's rod, or Aaron's staff, had budded. 
And so that's how they knew. He says, see, that God just showed you who He wants to be as high priest. God just showed you that it's His choice, not ours. It's not us taking advantage. But that also, if you think about it, points to Christ. Why? Because what is a staff? It's a dead piece of wood. It's a wood that's old and hard and dry. It's not connected to a root anymore. No moisture in it. There's no life in that piece of wood. It's just dead. And what comes out of it? Life. And I'm convinced strongly that that also points ahead to Christ because what would happen? Christ would lay down His life and then what would happen in His dead body? Life would come back into His dead body and it would be raised again from the dead. So all this stuff points to Christ. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about how it was made, uh, the, the tabernacle was covered with like linen and it was colored. It was blue and it was red and it was purple and it was, and it had gold worked through it and so all that. Well, the reason I point that out is because when we start to look at the high priest and his outfit that, that God also was very specific about, uh, his outfit had all the same coloring. His, his outfit it started off with just white things. And it deals with everything. kind of starts from the inside out. deals with everything to what he wears underneath, his undergarments. And it's just basically solid white, just linen. And then it keeps going out from there. And, uh, another white garment that covers him basically from head with a white turban to foot. Completely in white. And then it starts going with the robe. The robe is blue. And then the ephod, which is a thing that kind of goes around his waist and up over his shoulders. That is... a. Uh, purple and red and, and gold woven through it. In other words, this guy just looks like he fits right into the temple because as you're in the temple and up and over and around you is all this blue and red and purple, the ephod and everything on the priest and the robe is all the same colorings and gold. And he just, he looks like the guy that fits right in where he, where he needs to be. On him there's the golden headband. The golden headband that he's got that's a, or a plate that's attached to the front of the turban. There's a plate on there that says, Holy is the Lord. And on each shoulder, as we read, there's a stone on each shoulder. A black one. And on one shoulder is the first six names of the sons of Israel that formed the twelve tribes. On the other shoulder is the other six names of the sons of Israel. And then over the breast piece, the breast piece hangs off the ephod and hangs around his chest area. And on that breast piece, there are twelve different stones. And we read the names of all those. And each stone starting from the oldest to the youngest, has the names of the sons of Israel, which formed the twelve tribes of Israel, over through each stone on the breastplate that is over the heart of the high priest. And so, as we look at this and what's, what's taking place, the high priest who is representing the whole nation, he is bearing the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. He's representing the nation of Israel. God's doing all this stuff as we talked about last week for this specific purpose, and that is to dwell with them. He wants to live with them. He says, There I will meet with the people of Israel. This is in chapter 29, verse 43 to 46. And it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And so God is coming and He's going to dwell among the people. And so when you think about it, what, is, what does that mean? What, what does it mean that God is going to come and dwell among us? It means that He is going to draw near. That He's coming down into the camp of Israel and putting up His tent right in the middle. He's drawing near to the people of Israel. And there's two different issues that come into play here. And we're going to get into those in just a moment. 
This whole idea of the tabernacle, a place where they offer the sacrifices, and a high priest that's going to come in and offer the sacrifices, it's all about being accepted before God. How can I know that I have a relationship with God? That I'm near God? How can I know that I'm not on the outside looking in? Which remember, that's where Israel kind of was. Because Israel wasn't allowed in the tent. Only the priests were allowed in the tent. Only the high priest and only once a year and only in those right clothes could go into the holy place. The most holy place. God was coming to dwell in and among to draw near to Israel. And that's why when we look at it from a New Testament perspective where we live, the book of Hebrews more than any other New Testament book focuses on exactly what was happening with that tabernacle and those high priests. Because... That's exactly what's happening with Christ. That's exactly why Jesus Christ came and laid down His life for us. To offer that sacrifice, to be our high priest, so that we can draw near to God. It's only through Him that we can draw near to God. It's only through Christ that we're accepted before God. Those two words, draw near, are repeated several times in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 4 and verse 16, he says, Let us then with confidence... He's just been talking about how Christ is our high priest. Because He's our high priest, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19, it says, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. A few verses later, it says, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. And then in chapter 10 and verse 1 of the book of Hebrews, it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. And then later in chapter 10, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water." Notice what he's been saying through all those things. That old covenant, that old tabernacle, its purpose was for us to draw near to God. But it was imperfect. It didn't make us perfect. You could tell because sacrifices had to be done over and over and over. And not only that, the priests kept dying, so you had to have more priests and more priests and more priests through time. So you could tell it didn't work. But it was a shadow of the one that would work. It gave us a picture of the one that would work. And now, since Jesus is that one that could work, He is our perfect high priest. Now we can have boldness. Now we can have confidence that we're accepted by God. That we can actually draw near to God knowing that He will accept us because of Jesus Christ. Alright, so there's a kind of an overview. That's, that's what's happening. That's kind of what the tabernacle looked like and the high priest's clothes looked like. Now, as we consider drawing near to God, there's two issues that are involved here. When I think of my relationship with God, how do I know that I'm close to God, that I'm not just deceiving myself? Well, there's two issues involved. The first issue is God's holiness. And we see that throughout this whole section of Scripture. God's holiness. Because notice, there's so much detail involved in this, so much glory and splendor, that God is definitely setting it apart as different. Tent, He has this tent made, 
and the children of Israel, 11 twelfths of the nation, can't even go in this tent. Not in the inner one. And so it starts keeping people out right away. The closer you get to God, the less people are allowed to go in. And finally, just the one guy, and him only once a year, and only with a sacrifice, and only dressed in all the right clothes. And so access to God is is limited. It's restricted. Why? Because the point is being made that God is so holy and perfect and good that He's so far removed from us because all the way back in the Garden of Eden, we rebelled against God and we sinned against God. And we were plunged into sin. And you know what? The, The bad move made by Adam and Eve has been our experience ever since. Because I'm sure I can speak for you as well as for me. I've made the same stupid mistakes that they did. I've known of things that I wasn't supposed to do and I did them anyway. And that's the whole point. Our sin keeps us on the outside because God is completely holy. And we see this through many things. One is in spelling out all these things for these priests, what they should wear and those kind of things. There's a statement that keeps coming up. comes up about four times. He's given them instructions on exactly what He wants them to do. And He says, here's the reason you do them. Because if you don't do them this way, you die. Death. That's drastic. When you're looking at the, the priest putting on the right underclothes or he's going to die. The priest having bells on his fringes or else he's going to die. But that's what we see is God is set apart. He is, holiness means that He's set apart. That He's separate from sinners. That He's completely perfect and good. It says in Exodus chapter 28, verse 35, it says, And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard. That's talking about the little bells underneath at the bottom of his garment. When he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, so that he does not die. In verse 43, it says, And they shall be on Aaron and on his sons, and they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister to the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. I can't imagine being, uh, you wear these ones or you die when you go in to perform these certain functions. In Exodus chapter 30, it says, when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. And they shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. They had to do everything exactly as God specified it, or you're going to die. In fact, it does happen later on. I think it's in the book of Numbers. Uh, I think it was Nadab and Abihu. They come in and they offer a strange fire, it calls it, before God as they come in to burn incense. And God killed them right there. Dead. Why? Because the whole point is God is God. And you will treat Him as God. You will recognize who He is. Now, in Exodus chapter 30, it goes on to point out, uh, this is dealing with a with the oils. They're going to have these anointing oils for anointing the priest. And then they have the incense that is offered up before God for that sweet smell. And notice what God does with both of these things. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of acacia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hint of olive oil, and you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. So notice two words stand out there, sacred and holy. God is saying, look, for the oils that you're going to use in my business, in my work, 
they're going to be holy. They're going to be set apart. And he gave them the, the formula for putting these, this uh, oil together. But then shortly after that, he says, And you shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. And you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on, an outsider shall be cut off from among his people. So God says, look, this oil is my oil. This is holy oil. Don't try to make any like it and don't take it and put it on anybody that's not a priest. He does the same thing with the incense. It says, the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stacked in onica and... I don't even know how to pronounce all these. Usually I just go for it and say it real loud and bold and you don't know how either, so you think I'm doing pretty good. But I know frankincense. Uh, Of each uh, shall there be an equal part and make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. And you shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as a perfume shall be cut off from among his people. God is saying, look, this is how you approach me. You have to recognize that I am separate from sinners, that I am, that I am holy. You've got to recognize the awesome holiness of God. The next issue is grace. You've got God's holiness and God's grace. Because of God's holiness, I'm on the outside looking in. Because I've violated that holiness. I've sinned against Him. Because of God's grace, He draws near and pulls me in. And I can receive the salvation of Jesus Christ. But you know what? I remember a time in my life where I just assumed that God was okay with me. Not because I was sinless. I knew that I'd done some things wrong. I just didn't figure God cared that much about the things that I'd done wrong. You know, I hadn't killed anybody. I hadn't done anything too terribly wrong, in in my opinion anyway. But you know what? In all of our opinions, we never do anything too terribly wrong because we justify ourselves no matter what. I figured that God was okay with me. Why wouldn't He be? Because I was okay with me. What was I ignoring? I was ignoring the holiness of God. I was not recognizing that I'm not measured by my standard. I'm measured by God's standard. And what is God's standard? Holiness. What is God's standard? Everybody is outside the tent. But what is God's grace? It's going to allow one person to come in the tent to represent everybody that's outside the tent so that we can all draw near to God. And that was accomplished in Jesus Christ. I knew that Jesus died on the cross. I just never really realized what it had to do with me. I knew that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Everybody that went through Easter knew that. But I didn't know what it had to do with me because I felt like I was good already. It wasn't until I recognized the holiness of God and how far I fall short of that holiness that I realized that I needed a Savior. That I realized that I needed the grace of God. And that's the other thing that comes out strong in this passage. This whole passage is about these two things. It's about God's holiness. I'm set apart. You cannot just come to me any way you want. Here's all the details. Here's exactly how you got to put the tent together. Exactly how you got to dress the priest. Exactly how God is holy, set apart. But God is also gracious. That's why the tent. I'm making a way for you to be able to come to me. One way. 
And that all pointed down the road to Jesus Christ. He is that one way. The grace of God has appeared to us because Jesus Christ came and entered as a high priest, offered Himself as a sacrifice, and now we can draw near to God because of that grace. God does not cease to be holy. He's still set apart. But He's also gracious and gives us a path whereby we can draw near to Him. We also see the grace of God in the priest's clothing. Because as we look back at Exodus chapter 28, verses 29 and 30, it says, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus, Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Three times in that short passage right there, it says Aaron will bear them on his heart. We, we get a glimpse at what is the heart of God. Though God is so holy and set apart, God's heart is to bring us right in and we can draw near. 